Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Previously on The Storyteller, Violent Delights, Alan Peters admitted feeding the warm body of Maxwell Garvey down a hole like a worm, but claimed he was unwittingly drawn into the murder. I didn't know what was happening. I just felt kind of afraid for myself. And in contrast to Brian Tevendale's statement, his own sister said he confessed that he'd shot Max, her former lover and his love rival. Brian said, it's been done, it's over, Max is dead. I'm Isla Traquair and this is the storyteller, Violent Delights, a true story of love which began as a fairy tale but ended in a nightmare. From castles to a courtroom, this story rocked Scotland like no other. It's a crime so historic only a few characters are alive to tell the tale. And I'm tracking them down for what might be the last chance to discover the truth behind the headlines and who killed Maxwell Garvey and why. Thirty-five-year-old Alfred Burse, known as Fred or Alfie, entered the grand granite building of the High Court in Aberdeen, swarmed by a crowd. He wore a dark suit, smart tie, a handkerchief in his pocket and had a light coat draped over his left arm. On his right arm was the striking short-haired Trudy Burse, his wife, the woman who'd sworn on a Bible and admitted she'd been having an affair with the murder victim Maxwell Garvey and was disappointed when he'd call things off. Her brother, Brian Tevendale, was one of three people in the dock accused of the crime. As Trudy finished giving evidence for the second day in a row in which she'd revealed her husband had once partaken in an evening of frivolities at the now infamous farmhouse West Cairnbeg, Fred replaced his wife in the witness stand. Lord Thompson said it was reasonable that Mrs Burse should leave the court before Solicitor General Ewan Stewart QC began questioning her husband. Were you aware that an association developed between your wife and Maxwell Garvey? Yes. It was discussed with you? Yes. Were you aware of another association between your brother-in-law and Mrs Garvey? Yes. Did you speak to Brian about it? Yes. What impression did you get of the extent of his attachment to Mrs Garvey? At first I felt it was unusual in the circumstances but later on I found out more about it. Mr Stewart had told the court he did not want to question Mr Burse in detail, and there were several mentions of for legal reasons, which reading between the lines suggested he was at risk of incriminating himself. The court heard he'd left the police ten days after Sheila and Brian were charged with murder. The reason for his departure became clearer during questioning, but prior to Max's death, he'd already made a bad impression on a more senior officer, Sandy Reid. Alfie Burse, uh, he would have joined up at Dean City Police. He ended up in uniform uh, as, a, uh, well, what was he, as a PC. I had him for a short time uh, in my, my section, 
and uh, I wasn't particularly impressed with him at all. And it was uh, it, it rose to uh, an incident where we were uh, we went to the scene of a crime. The two perpetrators had uh, run off. Uh, we chased after them, and uh, we caught caught one of them. And I left bus with the guy. We got hold of him and said, right, hang on to him. Uh, we'll get, we'll get the guys further up the road. We'll, get, we'll, we'll go after them and we'll be back. But don't let him go. Left him there. Eventually found this guy, chucked him, put him in the back of the car, took him back and to find uh, Bruce standing there on the side of the pavement. I asked him, what have you been playing at? Right, where about the guy was? He said, oh, he... Uh, he, he he gave his details and I, I just let him go and I uh, I got quite annoyed with him and all this complaint I didn't want him in my section again kept kept well clear of me. His poor judgment in letting the assailant go was far less serious than what was to emerge, as Ian Gordon explains. During the investigation, it came to light that Tevendale's uh, brother-in-law. Uh, had uh, helped to dispose of the mattress from uh, Max's bed, which is obviously stained. In her statement to police, Sheila explained how the mattress and Max's clothes, which he'd apparently gone missing in, ended up at the Burse's house. Brian phoned on the Wednesday morning about six o'clock to say they'd left Max's clothes in the garage and I got distressed on the phone. And Brian told me to take the clothes onto Trudy's sisters and she would get rid of them. From that, I took it that she knew of what had happened. He told me that night on the Tuesday that if I squealed, he would get me involved and get about 25 years in prison. When I asked him how he was going to get away with it, he said he was going to hide the body and I asked him where and he said he wouldn't tell me. I phoned Trudy on the Wednesday night as I was in a state about the mattress which was saturated with blood. She said that she and Brian would come down and and take away the mattress. I can't remember whether it was the Wednesday or the Thursday that they came down and she brought her mattress from her bed and she bought a new mattress and she said I could pay her £18. Detectives discovered the mattress of the police officer and his wife Trudy had indeed been put in the master bedroom at West Cairnbeg. The original mattress, which would have been very good uh, evidence because it was covered in blood, was taken to the Burr's home and disposed of. Uh, the one that replaced it was one that Trudy Burr's had taken from her own bed and taken to uh, West Cairnbeg and placed on the bed. It was too small for that actual bed. It was about probably six inches uh, in length and uh, probably about the same distance in breadth. So uh, it was clearly not intended for that bed either replacement one. So the one with bloodstains had to, it couldn't have been cleaned, so it had to be disposed of. 
So I've got the photographs of the bedroom here. And in particular, there's this one of the mattress on, on the frame. So the frame, there was a wooden headboard and a wooden end, but there was a metal rectangular frame, which then had a canopy um, attached with the tiny little springs all the way around. So the canopy took the weight of the mattress. And here is the mattress that belonged to Trudy and Fred Burse. It's a, a deep sort of raspberry red with quite big pale pink flowers on it. I can understand looking at this, if this bed was covered in a duvet and pillows, you may not have noticed the smaller size of the mattress. But I also understand Alistair Smith when he says that he regrets not looking a bit closer on that initial visit when Max went missing. In retrospect, uh, I should have, on the, the first uh, time that I was shown the, the home by Mrs Watson, Sheila's mother, I should have been more suspicious then because uh, she was she was quite emotionally involved in this and uh, you could tell, at least latterly, I, I was aware that she had been exhibiting signs which meant she knew a whole lot more than she was telling. Sheila's mother wasn't the only one concealing information from police. Fred Burse was present when Brian was initially questioned by detectives about Max's disappearance, and he'd had a discussion with Sheila about her strategy of reporting her husband missing. Was anything said by Sheila Garvey after the 15th to your knowledge about whether or not she would report this matter of Max's disappearance to the police? Yes. Was there some discussion between you and her about this? There was some discussion in my presence. She said Max had been away from home on previous occasions and she would wait for several days before reporting it. You had information by this time of quite a different explanation for his disappearance. Yes. During cross-examination by Alan Peters' defence QC, Dr R Taylor, he was asked if he had expected Max to return, to which he replied no. After May 14th and the morning of the 15th, it was apparent to you by the hand of someone sometime, it was highly probable that a crime had been committed. Yes. For reasons which I will not press you, you took a considerable part in concealing evidence in relation to that crime. Yes. The lengths he went to stretched far beyond a discussion about reporting Max missing. You told us about your wife and Brian Tavendale taking a mattress to Cairnbeg on Wednesday night, May the 15th. Yes. Did you see another mattress that day you understood to have been brought back sometime during the night? Yes. Was that put into your upstairs spare room? Yes. What state was it in? It was folded up and tied. Was it covered with anything? There was a cover over it. What did you do with the mattress? Brian and myself took the mattress to Dancing Cairns Quarry in Aberdeen and burned it. I think that a day or two later you and your wife went and got a new mattress. Yes. The court heard that same day he'd burnt clothing and a wallet in an empty oil drum. Did you see certain documents in the wallet that had Maxwell Garvey's name on it? Yes. Was the suit you burned a brown two-piece one? Yes. On one occasion when Sheila Garvey was in your house, did she ask you advice about something in connection with a gun? Yes, on the cleaning of a gun. How to clean a gun of fingerprints. What advice did you give her? I told her to clean it with an oily cloth. Sheila's evidence supported this. I can't remember, but I... Th I think it was Sunday night I was in there and I was well aware that Fred Burst knew what had happened and 
The gun was mentioned and he advised me to wipe the gun with an oily cloth for fingerprints. Fred was on shift and still in uniform when he became a person of interest in the inquiry and accompanied detectives to the Dancing Cairns Quarry in Aberdeen, where three months prior he'd taken the blood-soaked mattress to burn. Um, Alfie um, had taken it to um, Dancing Cairns Quarry uh, and had dumped it there. We had to go and photograph this mattress along with Alfie. In fact, the picture was taken with Alfie holding the mattress up um, and we took pictures uh, of it. And uh, I remember um, he was in uniform at the time because he was taken from um, being on duty uh, up there so we could take this, this picture um, at the time. Um, so it had a significant part to play in it. That must have been quite bizarre for you to have a colleague whose wife had been having a relationship with the murder victim. Meanwhile, her brother and his brother-in-law was one of the co-accused in the murder. And yet, and here he was taking you to a location where he'd helped assist get rid of a key piece of evidence. Oh, it was. It was very, very strange. Um, he wasn't actually like, because he was an Aberdeen City Police at the time and we were in the northeast counties, so I didn't know Alfie Burse, you know. He wasn't a direct colleague within the same force, but even just to take uh, with any officer in uniform to go to a scene um, to photograph um, an item of evidence, which was crucial in a murder case, um, was a bit bizarre. It was something that uh, you never anticipated would happen, but it did. There was, there was nothing available as far as evidence was concerned. There would have been no possibility of testing it for blood after having been doused in petrol and set alight. Although it was never made public as to why Fred was not charged with anything, his former colleagues believe action should have been taken. It's absolutely amazing to find out that you know, he had knew about this, found, you know, and was helping to hide it. I thought he should have been chucked in prison. If he'd been involved as a policeman, it didn't matter if it was his, if it was his wife was playing about with the deceased or whatever it was. The fact that he was involved in a in the in the disposal of the, the, this mattress, yeah, he should have uh, he should have been not for uh, for murder, but for uh, aiding and abetting, you know. I don't know why he wasn't actually. There must have been a reason for that, to which I was not privy. If he knew the background, he could have been charged with an accessory to a murder, um, you know, by disposing of evidence. Obviously, there must have been some sort of discussions with the Procurator Fiscal in the Crown Office um, on, on that and whether, in fact, any action should be taken. But uh, obviously, he was used as a witness as opposed to uh, becoming uh, an accused. As a witness for the prosecution, Fred had been cooperative and said he'd been aware of changes in Max's personality. And perhaps most shockingly, he'd heard mention of a plan to have him killed. Max was being a little difficult with regards to the association. Did you gather what the difficulty was? As far as I understood, he had encouraged the association between Brian and Sheila. And then when he thought it fit, it should be broken off. Was anything said by Brian about something happening to Max? 
At one stage he did say, in a joking manner, I'll have to try and arrange an accident and get Max out of the way. It was passed off as a joke. Did he go into more detail as to what the accident might be? He said he would like to try and arrange an accident to Max's car or his plane. He thought it was a joke? I did not think he was serious. Did he make any suggestions as to how he might arrange an accident to Max's plane? He did mention having it blown up by remote control. How he was going to do that, I had no idea. Trudy also heard comments from Sheila and Brian that it would be better if Max was out of the way, but she too said it was only ever said in jest. They used to joke about him. They had a habit of joking that he would have to go. It wasn't said in any malice. Sheila denied that this had been said, joking or not. Did you ever say to Trudy Burse, either before or after your husband's death, jokingly or seriously, that your husband had to go? Never. Did you ever hear Brian make such a suggestion, either seriously or in jest, in your presence? Never in my presence. Trudy, however, was adamant that Sheila knew about the murder. She said there was more than one conversation with Sheila that made her believe this. And in particular, when the two women saw each other at her house the day after the murder. We were looking at each other without saying anything. She asked me if Brian had told me anything about Max and I said he had. Sheila said it had to be done. There was no other way. Both Trudy and Alan's evidence was that Sheila was as guilty as Brian. In order to persuade the jury otherwise, Lionel Dykey's QC used his colourful questioning to paint a picture of what had happened earlier in the evening on the night of the murder, when Sheila lay in bed with her four-year-old son reading to him. They were favourite stories, books you liked. As you read that little boy to sleep that summer evening, was it planned that a man or men with murder in their hearts would be let into the house by you to murder the father of the child to whom you had read the story? No. She did, however, tell the court that immediately after the murder, she made a decision to protect Brian, no matter what. The longer I sat there and thought about it, the, the more guilty I felt. Uh, I blame myself. I, I felt morally responsible for what happened that night. Because I allowed Brian to fall in love with me and I'd become involved emotionally with him, I felt I'd unconsciously provoked him into an emotional state. I wanted to go to the grave with my secret eye. Never wanted Brian to be found out. I didn't know how long I was going to go on with this terrible secret and I was going to take my own life rather than betray Brian. What the jury would have difficulty with was reconciling Sheila's claimed innocence with her behaviour after the murder and continued romance with a killer. In the knowledge of how your husband came to be killed, would you tell the jury how it was that you could come to continue a physical association with Brian Tavendale? I was and, and still am in love with Brian. I wanted to protect him. So as far as you were aware, there was no one else apart from yourself who was available to give him that protection? I just knew that I myself wanted to protect him. 
it may be suggested that knowing what you did know on the morning of May 15th, your continued association with Brian Thievendale could only indicate a brutal and callous indifference to your husband's memory. If that suggestion were to be made by anyone in this court, what would your reply be? I look at it in this way. Brian did it to protect me and I felt I could not betray him. Do you say now on oath you are innocent of any complicity in the murder of your husband? That is correct. You are not guilty of the crime that is charged against you? I am not guilty. In her memoir, Sheila said even though she was deeply upset following the death of her husband, she could see how his actions and controlling of other people contributed to his fate. I still loved Brian and we still made love. It was true that I was making love with the man who had killed my husband. But I believe that Brian had committed the crime for me because of all the things Max had done to me. It seemed to me that Max had created a many-headed monster of twisted emotions around himself. And part of that monster, Brian, had hated him enough to destroy him. Although Sheila could tolerate her love for her husband's killer and was even planning on moving to the city to be with him, Sheila's mother, Edith Watson, could not. An argument between the two on Friday, August the 16th, brought the whole facade that had lasted over the hot summer months to come crashing down. I decided to stop the children being taken from Cairnbeg into Aberdeen. The proposal was to buy a house in Aberdeen. Maxwell Garvey had asked me if anything ever happened to look after his children and see they never came into contact with Tevendale. I felt I had to do something about it and that was the only way I could do it. Did you decide you would have to go to the police? I had to get Tevendale into the hands of the police and to do that I had to involve my daughter. In the next episode of The Storyteller, Violent Delights, Sheila is cross-examined and details emerge that she was writing a book in prison while awaiting trial. Wasn't the title Life with a Kinky Husband Who Came to a Bloody End? And the dramatic closing speeches don't disappoint. There was no doubt who played the part of Lady Macbeth. This is the storyteller, Violent Delights, written, produced and edited by me, Isla Traquair. There's more information and photos relating to the case on social media. If you've enjoyed this, then please rate and review it at iTunes, as it really helps people find the story. A huge thank you to Nick J. Tyler, who composed and performed all the music, except the title track, which is Searchlight by Cathedral. And a huge thank you to all the voice actors who've given their time and support, in particular Kate Dickey, who is the voice of Sheila. <laughs>